beautiful downtown Milheim, in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about drinking in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode two, Pickle Vodka, Caddy Riding, and How I Got the Bird. I talked to the new distiller at Barrel 21 Distillery, Erica Unruh, about how she got there and what she's doing, and then I talked to her boss, Barrel 21 and Otto's founder, Charlie Schnabel, about how it's all working. Then I gassed up our old Cadillac and visited three very different breweries in the Williamsport area. Finally, as we often do, we got our Thanksgiving turkey from a local farm. This year's came from Willow Creek Family Farm in nearby George's Valley, outside Spring Mills. I'll tell you how that adventure went, including taking it down to my son's new house in Philadelphia and roasting it there. But first, as always, here's what I'm drinking today. It's Red Mo Red Ale, a classic Central Pennsylvania beer from Otto's Pub and Brewery, right in State College. It is a, a, a red ale, which is, actually, you don't see a lot of them anymore. It used to be a big thing. I remember them in the uh, the 80s and 90s. Uh, obviously, it's named for the, uh, the Red Mo Shannon Creek, uh, tributary of the West Branch. It is... On the malty side, brewed with nugget hops in the boil and uh, Liberty on the uh, aroma end. comes in at 5.0%. I'm looking at it. There's actually a a bit of sediment here, but it smells great. Some caramel. Smells some uh, fruitiness. Just maybe a hint of pine. Let's try this. Mm. Mm. Oh, wow. That malt's right there. It's very creamy. There is that little bit of, of caramel there. And uh, and the hops really only come in at the end. Mm. Wow. It's been too long since I had one of these. I, uh, I need to get back to this. Mm. It's one of the things that's great about Central Pennsylvania brewing We've got a bunch of brand new breweries that are that are doing the the cutting edge stuff, but we also have breweries like like Otto's and like Elk Creek that are doing the classic beer styles: a red ale, an IPA, just plain IPA, brown ale, porter. These are these are great beers, <laughs> beer flavored beers as we like to call them, and it's worth taking a look at. So that's uh, that's Red Mo from. Otto's Pub and Brewery. I'll have another. Mm. Man, that's nice. I tasted Red Mo because this episode has two interviews from the Otto's Barrel 21 Keywaden Empire. <laughs> For the first one, I talked to Erica Unruh, who recently took over as distiller at Barrel 21 Distillery and Dining in State College. She replaces initial distiller Mike Smith, who will now be making beer at the new Bowl City Brewery in Bullsburg early in 2023. Erica, you're the distiller at Barrel 21. Yes, I am. And you took over when? In uh, September of 2021 is when I started. Okay. Took over January of this year. Ah, uh, so you, you trained with Mike for a while? Mike I did, Smith? yes. Yep, yeah. for about three months. Yeah, do you remember how long Mike was here? Six years. Six years, wow. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to be brewing in Bullsburg, I yes. understand. Yes, yep, taking over there. Yeah, so that'll be cool. Yep. Listen, I, I want to get one thing really important out of the way first. I, I just, I mean, I did do some Googling and 
looked at your employment history, and I just want to know, is there going to be a Corgi Derby here, too? <laughs> because my, my guy Pippin is ready. Yeah, I, I have thrown that idea out here. So <laughs> I don't know that it'll happen. I would love to see it happen here. The thing about Wyoming was we had a great dirt field right next to oh, us where okay. we could hold it. Yeah. So we're not sure how the asphalt would work here. But yeah, it's a little bit uh, steep off the other side. <laughs> yes, but I'm not going to say it's off the table. Okay. So hopefully. Cool, cool. Yes. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, where you came from. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You started out in Northern California. You're from there? Yeah. I'm born and raised Northern California, so grew up there, went to school at UC Davis, uh, and then stayed in that area for about 34 years, so a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, my family opened up a distillery in Pine Bluffs, Wyoming, and so... Uh, when that was going on, I reached out to my brother and cousin who were leading the helm on that and asked if they would have any job openings. And they you said, know, I, I did see in your uh, an interview you did. Yes. Um, that you, you said you were a, a kind of a fermenting family. Yeah. So <laughs> home brewing is what our family okay. uh, did. So my dad was a home brewer, my brother. So we did a uh. lot of that. So background started out in home brewing. And then that led to the distilling. So he was looking for a distiller and we, my husband and I, up and moved out of California to Wyoming. (laughs) And and had you distilled? No, had never distilled before. So (laughs) yeah, only home brewed. Yep. Okay. And then, um, so you did take the crash course at Moonshine University in Louisville. Yes, I did. Yes. So I did the week long crash course there. Yeah. It was essentially a crash course. So just good people there. Good people. Really like them. Yeah. Very knowledgeable, learned a lot. So that was great. Good crash course. How long were you there? I was in Wyoming for just over two years. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then you moved to Pennsylvania or your your husband got the job at New Trail? So we moved to Pennsylvania for a job that I took at Penn State. So that's what brought us here. And then he ended up getting the job at New Trail uh, a few months in. And then... As a brewer. As a brewer. Yep. So he's a brewer at New Trail and then I wanted to get back into distilling and through just perfect timing with Barrel 21. I take it the job at Penn State was not distilling. (laughs) Yeah it was not (laughs) distilling not at all. (laughs) So I left that in September of 2021. That's great. Yeah. Yeah well I mean I'm I'm glad you were here to to pick that up. Me too. I love it. (laughs) Barrel 21 is of course uh, an established brand and business and you have a stock of aging barrels, so that's yes. kind of like turning a super tanker to a certain extent. Are you are you gonna are you thinking about any significant changes? I wouldn't say significant changes. I am doing some more experimental small batches. So a okay. uh, couple things that I've been working on the past couple months is an agave spirit. Ooh. So I have that aging in a couple different size barrels right now. Uh, I experimented with a Triticale whiskey, so really? that's in barrels now. I am going to try out a weeded bourbon. Uh, that's kind of next on my list. And then I just made a jalapeno vodka. So oh that, <laughs> that I just bottled on Monday. So that's going to be hitting the shelves in a couple weeks. Next on my list is a pickle vodka. So <laughs> look You're for that. My soul, I, I just, I have this thing about savory spirits. I'm okay. a big fan of Aquavit. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I just think it is a well, an area that just hasn't been explored enough. Yeah. yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm actually kind of interested to see what kind of messing around you're going to do with white spirits, too. Yeah, I, mean, definitely. I know I'm a whiskey guy, yes. but yeah. there's a lot of stuff that 
hasn't even been touched. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, are, are, yeah. Is, is any of the um, agave spirit going to be Blanca? Yes. Okay. So we just wanted to test this one out first, mm-hmm. uh, but we did taste the Blanco, liked it. So we're going to get, you know, some more agave spirit, do some Blanco, and then also do some aged uh, agave as well. Yeah, because so I know we'll a, lot of, uh, a lot of Pennsylvania producers yeah. that have tap rooms or whatever you call them for a cider or a winery would love to have a, a tequila alternative. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, Smart. yep, we're going to do that too. Cool. Yeah. What, what are your favorite spirits to make? I really like making, I really like making bourbon, um, but that takes a lot of patience because you're not going to (laughs) see that product for a couple years. So I think besides that, I like experimenting with the flavored vodkas. So, you know, the jalapeno, the pickle, I think you can do some fun things with that. And, And how are you flavoring? Uh, with the actual You're vegetables. steeping it right yes. in the... Yeah, so okay. I am chopping up jalapenos in the distillery. <laughs> <What fun>. <laughs> <laughs> and throwing them in a tank, so okay. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, we just found out there's a Happy Valley uh, pickle company, and so I'm going to be getting local pickles and using that for that one too. Okay. So, yeah. I'm, uh, someone's probably already made the suggestion, but Central Pennsylvania, berry. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah I haven't had that suggestion big yet. Thing so here. Okay, cool. But I did have a berry vodka, and like, that's not, not bad. I mean, really? it's a lot like wintergreen, but it's yeah. not exactly wintergreen. Okay. Yeah. I'll have and to check that out. It is very popular flavor in Central yeah. PA. Good so. to know. All right. What do, you, what do you like to drink? I So if I'm not drinking spirits, right. I am an IPA fan. Uh-huh. So that's my, you know, after work, if I want to have something, I'll have an IPA usually. So. Okay. But cocktails, I like just a solid old-fashioned. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I drink a lot of old-fashions because it's about the only cocktail I can successfully make. Okay. I just, it's <laughs> yeah, it's not too hard. Cocktails. No, it's, it's not bad yeah. at all. So what's um, a day in the distillery? What do you do? Walk in to walk out. Yeah. Depending on the schedule, there's a couple different paths that my day will take. So if I do a mash day, then my entire day is set on just doing a mash. So, Which is, I mean, that's, you're essentially brewing. Then, yeah, right? essentially yeah. brewing. Yeah, so milling in the grains, mashing it, uh, you know, adding the yeast, doing that. Otherwise, you know, once the mash is done fermenting, I'm running the still, so monitoring that all day. Um, you know, other things, filling barrels, emptying barrels, bottling, <laughs> labeling. So all of that is done in-house, infusing spirits. And then there's the fun stuff like taxes that I get to do every <laughs> month, too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah it's a pretty things. regulated industry, right? It is very yeah. regulated, yeah. yes. So lots of paperwork, lots of forms to fill out. Yeah, so, so that's the fun part. Right, yeah, yeah. Like so said. fun. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Distillation, what, what kind of still are you running? We have a Carl still, okay. so and it's got a seven plate column on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So just for people who may not be familiar, you're, I mean, it kind of looks like a pot still. Yes. But then it's got a column. Yes. Sitting on top of it. Right. Is there? I mean, you must talk to people about what you do, not just here, but before in Wyoming as well. Is there something that maybe you think people just don't get about what you do? Mm. I think that one of the most common misconceptions, which is kind of funny, is that people don't understand that whiskey doesn't come off the still brown. Yes. <laughs> so yes. spirits come off clear. And even yesterday when we were making something, even 
one of the um, assistants in the brewery was over here and he didn't realize that it came off clear. Exactly. So yeah. I think that's just one of those, I mean, it's minor, but it's pretty funny that a lot of people it's don't, a good point. They don't really know don't. that. Yeah, yeah. That it actually gets the color from the barrel. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what do you think of central Pennsylvania? You've been here a while. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Well, we're, good answer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm going to not say anything else. Right. <laughs> no, uh, I really do love it though. So you know, growing up in Northern California was very outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. And so I find it very similar to that. Just, yeah. we love to go hiking and, you know, camping, traveling, things like that. So it's, I mean, it's been a great area to explore and check out different places. So yeah, we're loving it. And I have a young daughter and there's, it's very family friendly. So that's oh, yeah. been good too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. We mentioned uh, your husband, John, brews at New Trail. Yes. I, I have to ask, any any collaborations in process? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything in the works right now, okay. although he would love to get his hands on my agave barrels once I <laughs> take the agave out of them. He okay. has mentioned that he would like one of those barrels. So. Maybe some swap back. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. so. I've, I've seen some people doing uh, bourbons and beer barrels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so who cool. knows? We yeah. will see. <laughs> wow. Central Pennsylvania booze power couple. I like <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Where Where's Barrel 21 headed as far as, I mean, are we getting bigger? Are we staying the same? Are we reaching out? I I think we are going to grow and I think it's a good opportunity to just have a fresh set of eyes in here to look at the the spirits and see, you know, what can be, um, what new spirits can be added? How can we grow the spirit program? So I think that it's only going to grow from here for sure. We're, you know, looking at different products. Uh, I mentioned a couple of new ones earlier, but, um, also, another one is like apple pie liqueur that I'm trying Ooh. to work on too. So just, yeah, just looking at what we're doing, uh, you know, want to keep using our local apples, but seeing what else we could do with them, what new spirits we could do. So, yeah. Yeah, I did see um, when I came in the uh, farm pictures. Uh-huh, yes. Um, I mean, you use a lot of local grain. Yes, we do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all Pennsylvania grain. That's so, great. Dancing Star Farms. And Double Eagle Malt are both oh, yeah, Pennsylvania. Nice. So, yep. Yeah. I, was, I was actually down at uh, Dancing Star, wow, it's about two years ago now. Okay. Uh, yeah. Visited and, and talked to Robert. It's, uh, it's a fantastic operation. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yep. We love yeah. using his grains. That's about all I've got. Was there anything you wanted to add? I don't think so. Just okay. thanks for having me here. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I uh, really appreciate it. And yeah. uh, best of luck. And I mean, it's a little late, but welcome to Pennsylvania. <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. <laughs> you too. After I interviewed Erica, she went back to work and Charlie Schnabel sat down with me, the guy who runs Barrel 21 in Otto's Pub. I'll be back with that interview after this episode's Going Stag segment. Two of the top, I gotta get there, Central PA breweries on my list have been Therapy Brewing, northeast of Montoursville, and Bald Birds, on the south side of Jersey Shore. Um, if you're not familiar with the area, Jersey Shore is a small town on the western branch of the Susquehanna, not the New Jersey Shore. Therapy's whole barn-in-the-country vibe sounded great, and I'd been to Bald Bird's other location down near Valley Forge, and I was curious to see how that would translate to Jersey Shore. And when I plotted the route on Google Maps, there was Roscoe's Brew House in Williamsport right along the way. I couldn't pass it up. I talked to Elk Creek Cafe co-founder and fellow Milheimer Tim Bowser into going with me, by promising to take the Cadillac. 
We inherited the caddy when a family friend died and left it to us. It can be a bit cumbersome on the back roads, but it surely is comfortable. We'd argued a bit about the best route to therapy. No local ever believes that I know what I'm about. But in Tim's defense, it was fun taking the caddy over the mountain on the switchbacks of Madisonburg Pike. It was about an hour to therapy, which is out on an old farm, well back in the country, northeast of Montoursville. I cranked the car hard right to go up the gravel lane. The small parking lots are off the first right past the barn. If you do go, please follow the signs and don't go in the exit. It really screws things up. We parked and admired the view and went to get a beer. The small brewery and taproom are in the farm's old wagon shed. It's not very big, but it's clean and cozy. Quinn Kirk was behind the bar. He and Chris Curriga are the owners, and I'm pretty sure the whole staff. We'll get more on that. I'm interviewing them later in December. I looked at the tap list. You have to. There's no scoping it out beforehand on the web. They don't post the beers there. But that's okay. You're almost sure to find something you like. My first beer was called Not Pickled, a cucumber saison. Tim got a bike Schwartz, Schwartz beer. Now, I'm a real beer-flavored beer kind of guy. I'm not much on added flavors. I like the usual fruits, cherries, raspberries, peaches. You can keep the other stuff. But I do have an odd fondness for cucumber in beers. I just think it goes well. The Not Pickled had a big fresh cuke aroma and that clean, fresh flavor of cucumber on the initial taste. But as it moved in and through my mouth, the characteristic grainy, spicy attributes of a Saison came forward. Nicely formulated and executed beer. Tim let me have a taste of his Schwartz. He thought it was a bit thin. I found it refreshing. I guess it depended on where you were in the day. It did have a nice roasted bitterness to it. Therapy is a peaceful, quiet place, appropriately named. We stood out in the porch in the cool sunshine, looking out across the little valley. Williamsport isn't all that big a town, but you'd never know you were anywhere near it. We watched the family having a game of catch and talked about, you know, stuff. We decided to have another round. I got the corn-stalked cream ale. Tim got the wagon shed IPA. The corn-stalked, Quinn told us, was made with locally grown sweet corn that they creamed by hand. It was present in the taste, far from overwhelming, and not a cooked corn flavor, rather a fresh sweet character. The wagon shed was tilted toward the west coast, but not as crushingly bitter as those beers can be, and whoop-assingly aromatic, pine, some tropical fruit. We wrapped it up and headed down the lane for the urban jungle to the west, the throbbing street-beat heart of Williamsport. Yeah, I'm kidding. Roscoe's Brewhouse is in a mostly residential section of eastern Williamsport, pretty quiet, free parking on the street. It looked just like someone had decided to stuff a taproom into the first floor of their house. I think there are apartments on the second floor. Roscoe's is spelled with a K, not a C, because it's named for owner Adam Roskowski. He wasn't there that day, but his brewer, Taylor Strine, was behind the bar. He's a graduate of the brewing course at the Pennsylvania College of Technology in Williamsport, a program designed and taught by Elk Creek's founding brewer, Tim Yarrington. Taylor poured us a Belgian wit beer and a tubby thyme pale ale. The wit beer was well done, citrus and spice, quite refreshing and flavorful. The pale ale... Oh, I got to talking and forgot to ask Tim for a sip of it. Sorry. <laughs> then we split a Husky Bull Imperial Stout, and that I liked. 
The Husky Bowl was well attenuated, not a rich, sweet glass like so many Imperial Stouts are these days. It could have been a bit more complex, but it was potently flavored with notes of dark malt, Vienna roast coffee, and a hint of burnt bitterness. Well done. We moved on as the weather was starting to deteriorate into weeping clouds. Bald Birds is off Route 220 in Jersey Shore, on the south side of town, in a huge building that might have started out as a warehouse, I'm not sure. We hadn't done a research on this one because, honestly, I was expecting a pretty similar setup to what I'd seen at the Bald Birds place down near Philly. It's safe to say that it was nothing like what either of us expected. The large parking lots were almost full. We managed to find a spot out near the road. We walked in the upper entrance, the wrong one, it turned out, as we walked in on someone's wedding reception, or maybe it was a class reunion, I'm not really sure. We apologized and headed quickly for the stairs down to the taproom. There was at least one other wedding there in another area, and they were spilling into the taproom. Not a problem, because there weren't that many plain old customers in the huge space. While we wondered at that, we got lunch. Long-time country fair food truck favorites, Gunsy's Hot Sausage, runs the kitchen. And we got two sausage and pepper sandwiches. Delicious. And they came pretty quickly. It's all counter service. We walked it back to our table in the bar. The bar. Well, there really were only about 20 people in the room, and there were at least two dozen beers on draft. It took a while to read through all of them, but when we saw there were two different pilsners, plus a dry-hopped version of one of the two, we asked for samples. We settled on the sip-to-service pilsner and settled in. It was good, nice malt and solid hopping, clean, but it could have been a little drier, crisper. Tim wanted to see the brewery, so he asked the bartender, who directed us in the general direction of back there, telling us no one was working there on Saturday, but we could take a look. We walked through the door at the back of a small gaming area, and wow, there was a huge space, only half filled by dozens of people playing cornhole in dead earnest. It was the West Branch Cornhole Association, and they were all playing. They had a big logo, a scoreboard with sponsors' logos. It was serious stuff. But as Tim noticed, no one was drinking, which just seemed weird. We walked on past them and saw no sign of a brewery, but there were mountains of cans waiting to be filled, and not all of them Bald Birds brands. Big stacks of kegs, mostly used, waiting to be cleaned. And there were empties of canned cocktails, liquor-based stuff. What was going on? We started asking Google questions and learned that Bald Birds has DSP certification, which doesn't necessarily mean they're distilling, but they can handle and package spirits. And they also plan to contract brew for other brands. Big plans. I was surprised, mainly because one, I hadn't heard about it, and two, because Jersey Shore isn't exactly centrally located. We also learned that there is a brewery, a big one, with a 50-barrel kettle. It might be the biggest in central Pennsylvania, outside of Trogues and Straub. We went back to the bar and ordered our next round, an Albus Dusseldorf Altbeer and an Oktoberfest. The Altbeer was good, if not exactly to style. wasn't bitter enough. And I can't tell you how odd it feels to say, wasn't bitter enough, about an American version of a European beer. The fest was pretty good, though, nicely malty, without any overt caramel flavors. And that was our day. We'd definitely go back to therapy. Like I said, we've got an interview set up, so you'll probably hear something in January. And to Roscoe's, especially to stop at nearby Acme Barbecue. 
and I guarantee you I'll be digging into the bald bird story. Now, about that second interview I mentioned, Otto's Pub and Brewery just celebrated 20 years of operation in September, an appropriate time for reflection. I've known Charlie Schnabel for over 25 years, so it was a pretty relaxed interview. We talked about how things have been, how they are, and how it looks for the future. I'm sitting here with Charlie Schnabel of Otto's and Barrel 21 and, and Key Waden. And Key Waden. Yeah, cider. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Well, I guess the Hofbrau and Belfont, you could call that. Oh, right. okay. Right. Oh, you, so you are actually involved in that? Yes, we are. Oh, I thought you just somehow managed to talk him into serving your beer. No, they're... Okay. We're, yeah, we're... I was thinking back, I think I met you in 96. 96. At Bullfrog in um, Williamsport. Yeah, I'm trying to think what the circumstances was. Yeah, I remember we came in, I, I think you were mopping. Um, mopping or sanding floors. Sanding floors, that's, that's it. That's the sanding floors. That's, that's what that's it was. One, yes. 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 Yeah, well, okay, you know. so that, that was you then, the, okay. the standing floor moment. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, it wasn't open yet, right? No. Yeah, I think no. it was about a month, month right. ago. Yeah. yeah. So, um, long road for both of us since then. Long road, yes. I mean, and that's my, my first question. I mean, you were brewing there, you're running things now. What's, what's the difference? Not a lot of brewing, I guess. Not a lot of brewing <laughs> now. I'm kind of the guy who tries to glue, who tries to keep everything together, you know, the, on every level of this business, you know, the, from the kitchen to the hop row and to, you know, beyond. It's, I'm the guy that tries to make all the puzzle pieces fit together, <laughs> so, which is definitely different than brewing, but it's kind of how it's evolved uh, over the years. You know, me getting less and less involved with the operations and mm. of, of actual physical operations of of brewing you know now i think i kind of slid away from a lot of the production side and now well at least the actual physical production of making things now i'm more involved in the packaging so i do a lot i i'm still involved pretty heavily in the packaging but i am passing as we speak passing that off to oh. another person who's taken up that role that actually sounds like a congratulations moment <laughs> it, it is you know because i'm particular you know packaging obviously is one of the most challenging aspects of, of the business i don't think people realize right. how important it is yeah and and i've it, that's been the hardest thing for me to let go because that's the thing i worry about the most is packaging almost more yeah it, it probably is the most thing i worry about most because you are sending it out to strange and unknown places and yeah that's just what it is and it represents your brand and product and you know you're really a lot riding on it so uh, that's pretty much my last thing you know as far as brewing goes letting go that part i'll still be involved you know i still get i still talk to dale about brewing and and recipes and things that i think you know we should do and i still help out when i when i need it to mm-hmm. obviously no, i'm sure you still know what you're doing i try to yeah <laughs> and that is actually a, a great segue into my next question because unlike a lot of breweries, you're still really making a lot of the same beers you, you did when you started. Yeah, and 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 it's kind of come to realization too. Because you know, I look back and I go, "Wow, we are still making some very same beers I've been making since Bullfrog days." And I know that that's fighting against the current because, <laughs> you know, I, I look, I you know, like Trogues for example. I you know, they're a classic lineup when they started, and they kept with it for a long time. And, yeah. And now you know that's gone. And I, you know, I think obviously that when you're that size, it's challenging to not keep with the trends because right. that's your business of selling beer. For us, it's been, I don't know why, you know, like you know, I was just thinking, you know, the Red Mo, for example, you know, that's a beer that I've been doing since 96. And uh, it just, 
one of those beers that just sells well, and it, and I always think that oh, this is going to be the year that Redmo is doesn't make it doesn't make it, but it just keeps going and going. And going. I remember talking to um, a guy at uh, Heaven Hill Distilling, and he was talking about now this has been a few years, uh, but he was talking about some brand they sold in Oklahoma. And he's like, yeah, you know, we don't sp- spend a dime on it. And it sells 10,000 cases a year and just don't want to turn it off. Right. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, you know, we, we try to, we've been trying, like with a few brands, like the Green Weenie, for example, that's been a, a brand that we kind of brought out recently a few years ago to try to meet the fruity IPAs. Sure. And we continue to make those, but I, I stick to my guns pretty hard, I think, probably more than most. You know, I I have to admit, I come in and I see Red Mo, Black yeah. Mo, Slab Cabin. I still drink those. I just got a six pack of Slab Cabin. I don't know, a month ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I know I'm probably a dinosaur, but you know that's and it's kind of weird to think that with that. I know. <laughs> but I, I look at the industry and, and think that it, it's got to be challenging to, and and wears you out. I would imagine you know the amount that you have to try to keep up. Because now, you know, we're moving on to other things. You know, it seems like it was seltzer, it was oh, right. this IPA, this, you know, and now we're probably on to some other IPA and, you know, hopefully lagers. I keep hoping that I know. It's always going to be the year yeah, of lager. This, this is going to be it, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and I think for the most part, that's kind of what I've always thought that, you know, the beers we make, like the Nittany, the Red Mo, there are kind of the standards they continue to sell well. People still enjoy them, and I'm going to still continue to make them no matter what the market. I'm sure uh, beer geeks, they want to see what they want to see, and they come in and they go, oh, this boring old menu that doesn't change and whatever. But, we, you know, we still continue to make seasonals. We still continue to do interesting things in the brewery. I mean, if the stuff keeps selling, right. I don't see any reason to change it, right. just and to I, change it. You start putting things in perspective of, like, you know where things were in the 60s and the, the 80s you know and then now it's like it 25 years starts you know you start jumping things through 25 year increments in the in the world of beer you know a lot happens in 25 years even you know through whatever oh yeah so who knows next 25 years i, I don't know obviously you know the nl the na trend trend too is a little interesting and intriguing I'm not sure how much legs that has. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. maybe it does have more legs than I think. And that's something that I, I do think about as well as far as the future. I mean, I gotta say, non-alcoholics are just so much better than they were. Right. Yeah. 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 We've been definitely looking at that. Looking at that for sure. Yeah. You know, not really sure how to focus on it because I've right. had some, you know, some interesting hop waters that I thought were. I mean, I look at it as terrible, but they. You know, the kids are drinking it like crazy. I've had a lot of people tell me they like them. I don't get it either, but... I mean, I think that's probably pretty much our taste, what we expect, I think. Yeah. And speaking of change, I mean, you just celebrated your 20th 20, anniversary? 20th anniversary, yeah. yeah. What's the biggest change in those 20 years? At Autos. At Autos, obviously, you know, our big change happened, what, I think 2012 when we moved down well, moved, here. Right. And, then, and then we had the other change of adding barrel, so... You know, those are the two biggest changes that we've had in our, you know, from when we opened to now, obviously going from 100 seats to whatever we have, like 400 seats, if you include barrel now, 450 or whatever. So, you, you know, we're serving a lot more people. Obviously, COVID was a giant adjustment yeah. change, uh, and, and that was really quite a uh, obstacle 
for everybody, and especially you know, especially anybody who's a restaurant or a bar, it was challenging. Yeah, you always have had a gift for understatement. We're, yeah, <laughs> we're we're continuing we're continuing to you know see reverberations from that you know, and I think things are like staffing wise you know was a giant challenge for us, uh, and 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 it continues to be, but I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. But the biggest changes in the brewing side, you know, obviously the trend that IPAs are never going to die kind of thing has been one of the biggest things I think as far as brewing beer goes yeah. you know, that, that continues to be the dominant yeah, driving, they really have to driving the driving mar- force behind brewer- what, what we, what our best sellers are. But you know, Oktoberfest was our best seller over the past two months, three months. So that's you nice. Know, and their spruces follows right behind it. Yeah. Or that lager, you know, as far as draft sales in the restaurant, that's always one. You know, Spruce is always number one. Oh. Always been, always will be, probably. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I, I hear the same story from some other brew pubs. Well, brew pubs that are also packaging breweries, that the lager always sells great in-house. and Yeah. Doesn't, yeah not we, so much outside. It's there. half as yeah. much outside. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of outside, I was just curious. How, how would you describe the beer market in, in Center County? Um, is, it, is it mature? Is it always changing is it it well i mean i think center county has always been to me as a catch-up between philly and pittsburgh where it seems to like start there and then get here and a few years later mm-hmm. that's the way it's always been i think central pennsylvania in general you know you see certain things trickle out here slowly more slower than you know in trends and in uh a lot of things like that you know the brewing it just seems like those two bookends and words that are stuck in the middle, we kind of get the leftovers eventually. <laughs> and that's and to be honest, it almost seems like sometimes it, they don't even make it here before right. they're dead Done. there. Oh, yeah, exactly. I think we dodge a bullet sometimes. Yes, yes. yeah, true. Like, you know, like seltzers for, you know, they, they, they were not crazy huge here. I don't think as much as some places, but that's tough to call. Uh, but, yeah, Center County definitely is, you know, with, with the change in the, the – convenience stores mm-hmm. and, the, and the grocery stores has definitely changed certain things about the you know obviously distributors aren't i don't think distributors are picking the beers as much as they used to i think it's more like now it's like sheets is doing it oh that they're what's they're, i think what's driving it. a lot of a lot of distributors are now listening because you know like 16 ounce cans for example sheets doesn't really want 16 ounce cans so all of a sudden now at center county and you know they don't Distributors want twelve ounces or twenty huh. threes or nineteens or, or yeah the nineteen thing I don't right that's suddenly gotten really big and that's because I think because of the convenience stores they, single serving they want it that and yeah. they don't want that weird intermediate size huh. they want and that's wow. it so I think that's driving some things in in the area for sure because we're seeing less and less sales of, of sixteen ounce and we're we're putting our like the green weenie which used to be exclusively sixteens now going to twelves. The double D, which used to be 16, is now going into 12. Huh. So 15 packs is another thing that we're looking oh, into yeah. as well. That seems to be the upcoming thing. So we'll we'll see how that all works out. I don't think it's that crazily different than most places in the right. state. Uh, you know, that aren't aren't Pittsburgh and Philly. But uh, I, mean, I gotta say, now that I'm I'm finding where to go to look for beer, selection's really not bad at all. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, when we started at Wegmans, we were their number one brand. It was only us and, like, uh, probably ten other brands when oh, we got wow. started there. And Apricot Wheat was their best-selling beer. And and now it's, like, yeah. an endless selection. 
from for us for you know for where we started in 2002 to where we are now it's shockingly different like right. if you were to wake up in a coma you know <laughs> it would be you know wow you'd walk into Wegmans and go whereas before you'd have to go Changi's or other you know to well, see that kind of to well known well known kind of places yeah. to, to get now yeah it's, now it's right in your yeah backyard right why uh why uh, barrel 21 why, why a distillery uh it was sort of necessity at the time i mean we had some chains interested in this property oh at the time and we really didn't want to look at the butt end of a chain restaurant gotcha so it was almost a defensive move. it was and huh. we, we wanted to reserve this parking was important to us because we fill up a lot of that parking right. over there we almost looked at it as you know a parking hitch <laughs> so yeah and, and the, so the distilling kind of came hand in hand with that i think I, i've always been interested in distilling I mean, distilling to me and still you know and remains to me to be the the only thing that i can wrap my arms around and say you know I, all my ingredients i can get within 15 miles and i never have to worry about ukraine or any issues or any other right, supply here it's like, everything's here yeah you know I, I can get the rye the corn the wheat even the barley you know i, I can get pretty much worry free and that's kind of satisfying i think and and uh i mean now you can even get malt yeah yeah right the malt barley we get you yeah. know too so and that's really nice i think that was a another reason you know we have our apples orchard as well and that's you know we have that accessibility it's kind of self-sustaining in a way mm-hmm. just because of the area i think and i've all you know i i've always been you know sam Comlanic obviously he's always been a big friend and influence too and he might have had something to do with it as well who knows <laughs> sam is like a pollinator out yes. here in central pennsylvania i don't know how we're going to get along without him i know i miss him terribly yes I so what? just talked to him yesterday yeah uh, I, I miss his un, unannounced loud visits. <laughs> um, and again, you've, you've segued into my next question. Uh, you do a lot with local food providers as well. W- why is that important to you? It's important to our customer, the, the number oh, one okay. reason. You know, and I think, I think it's important to us because I think it's, along with the, the, the distilling ingredients safety element, it's also a, I think there's also a, a factor in that where I think it's, not having to be relying on a commodity world for any, you know, always having the ability to, you know, to have something kind of available to you, like whether it's food or barley or whatever, you know. So this is a cheese, is a, a prepper brew pub. Yeah. Is it a- <laughs> sure. I mean, and, and unfortunately, you know, after COVID, we've done, we've had to done less with, with some of local things because it just, they've either disappeared or... Oh. Or, uh, you know, because that's been really hard on a lot of yes. small food kind of related places like that. And that's been that's been a bit of a challenge. But, you know, and, and, and plus because of costs, you know, food costs and everything and everything's crazy right now. And trying to keep up with that has been challenging. So the food side has definitely, you know, we'd like to see us get better than we have been. I mm-hmm. think I think that's one thing. And I think we will continue to. To get back, I, to I know. We, I, out in Milhan, uh, Burkholders, the right. supermarket out there, yeah, really doubled down on the local. Which foods. they're they're carrying our, our sodas right now. Nice. Yeah, they just started 
Uh, I, I, I do. I, I shop at Burke Holders too. So. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I go there all the time. A, it's a strange experience. But, yes, it is. But the, I do enjoy it, though, the yeah. strangest of it. So. I mean, it was really another one of the reasons we moved here because we're like, okay, we can get a lot of odd but satisfying stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Reedsville ice cream, I think, is Ooh, one, yeah. one of the best. I think I. I'm Actually, we like the Richies too. Uh, yeah, Richies. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah Richies we too. do both of them. Yeah. Wrapping up, what you know, what are we looking forward to? Uh, well, I mean, on the distillery side, obviously we've got some aged product that's finally coming to fruition, like smoked bourbon, like American single malt. Oh, oh, I didn't. Wow, sorry, I didn't know you'd done a malt. Yeah. Um, nice. You actually sampled it. I did at one point and said it was amazing and yeah, well, as my should, kids say, my, and it was my years brain ag- is Swiss cheese. It was <laughs> years ago, and you said, "Oh, this is ready to go," and it's still sitting in a barrel. We just haven't got it around to get. Okay. Well, I guess I guess the the description just got approved not that long ago. Right. So right. That's kind of what I've been waiting for because I really didn't want to call it. Uh, oh right. Spirit distilled from something a, grain a, 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 a malt mash or yes malt, malt mash, mash. Yeah. yes exactly yeah. That, that sounded horrible it so. does <laughs> even if it's in small print somebody's gonna say well, what the hell is that right yeah so yeah whiskey labeling is a whole it is yeah and we have that we have the buckwheat uh that we did that's been that's like three years old now and that's ready i think that's ready and that's legal now Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because before it was not. Right. It was a pseudo cereal. Is that what they call it? Right. It's yeah. a seed, really. I guess. Yeah. Right. But now it's oh, no, okay. I mean, like a not. Yeah. Like yeah. A, and and some, what's it, amaranth as well? I think. I yeah. It's also. I yeah. didn't hear that, but, but yes. Yeah. So that's cool. That's you know we got some things coming up there. You know Erica's working on, on uh, some flavored vodkas that she's been toying with. And yeah, she was telling me about them. So. There's things coming, and the brewery side, um, obviously, we're we're going through an uh, entirely new. The big thing, I guess, for us is the packaging is all changing. We have a new graphics for all of our packaging, that's been trickling out over time, and we we're switching over as, as a refresh. Uh, as far as beers go, who knows? I don't okay. Know. So. I, I uh, the one thing I did want to ask you about. I know you've done some uh, some big format sours in the past. Is that we haven't got back to that, and okay. I keep thinking about it, and I don't know why. It just hasn't happened. Not that I'm not interested in it. Just hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the stuff you made was really good. I know, and that was an interesting experiment. I, I still remember those those beers that we did, and I, I'd like to try to get back to it somehow. Just haven't figured out how and when's appropriate and how to deal with it. It's your job, man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Uh, You're it's welcome. It's been good. Uh, good getting getting together with you. Yeah. Nice. And I'm sure we'll be talking again. Yeah. Thanks. Last time I told you about smoking a duck. This episode's good stuff segment finds me preparing another bird for a big dinner, and again, it's all about the local. We like to get fresh turkeys from local farms for Thanksgiving tradition that goes way back for my family. I grew up near Espenshade's turkey farm in Lancaster County, which claims to be the oldest turkey farm in the country, going back to the 1860s. We have black and white photos of my dad driving a load of live Espenshade turkeys down to Georgia in the mid-1950s, a flatbed farm truck loaded high with wooden cages, straw hanging off everywhere. Farm fresh turkeys are kind of in my blood, and I wanted to get back in the groove in central Pennsylvania. I asked around, talked to farmers at the markets, 
and finally settled on the Scherer family at Willow Creek Farm in Spring Mills. That's where Elk Creek Cafe gets the birds for their awesome turkey dinner chimichangas. Good enough for me. I reached out to Mark Scherer by email, and pretty quickly we had the electronic version of a handshake agreement that we'd get a turkey in time for Thanksgiving. Then the Monday of Thanksgiving week came, and I still didn't have confirmation of when or how big or how much. Just that email saying, you bet, you got a turkey. This was a big Thanksgiving for us. Our son Tom and his partner Sade were hosting their first Thanksgiving in their new house in Philadelphia with both families, and I had committed to supplying a farm-fresh turkey. The pressure was on. I'll tell you, when we went to Wegmans and State College on Monday afternoon to pick up some special stuff for the dinner, I was looking at those frozen turkeys and doing some Hail Mary thaw calculations in my head. But not three hours later, I got another email from Mark telling me I could meet him in Burkholder's parking lot Tuesday evening to pick up our turkey. Hey, I don't always get emails out on time either, Mark. No worries. So Tuesday evening, I'm in the lot, waiting in the rapidly cooling darkness, and this massive Ford pickup rolls in, pulling a big white turkey trailer. I waited my turn as Joan Carp, who makes Keystone Cultures kombucha and water kefir just down the road on Long Lane, picked up her turkey. It was a local business festival. My turn. Mark greeted me and asked me what size turkey I wanted. I told him an 18-pounder, because that was about as big as our blue agate roasting pan could hold. He went in the trailer while his wife Amy and I started getting ready to Venmo my payment. That's small business in 2022. I asked him how long they'd been raising turkeys. Only about four years. Their son had an ACL tear and couldn't do field work, they said, so they came up with turkeys as something he could work with. They have broad-breasted bronze turkeys that they feed a non-GMO, antibiotic-free feed they get at Martin's Feed Mill in Coburn. Meanwhile, Mark was rooting around in two big tubs of dressed and bagged turkeys and came up with one that weighed 18.4 pounds. Perfect. We did the deal, and Mark insisted on carrying the turkey to my car. We shook on it, and I took the bird home to the fridge. The next day, we set out for Philly and got to Tom's house about 3.30. I opened the bag for the first time and checked the turkey. The bird was fully fresh, as promised. No ice. I took the giblets out, trimmed the neck hole skin, and checked the roaster for fit. It was a good thing I didn't go for the 20-pounder. I bagged it back up and put it in the fridge. I decided to try something completely different this year, a method I'd read about in the New York Times that a reporter's butcher recommended. Done it for years, she told her. Heat the oven to 425, pat the bird dry, and season it. I decided on ground sage, sea salt, and fresh ground black pepper, keeping it simple. Stuff a halved apple and a halved lemon into the cavity along with a few half stalks of celery. Then you build a rack of celery stalks in the bottom of the roaster and rest the turkey on that. I added a cup of water, too. Then you put the turkey in at 425, and you leave it at 425. No blast of heat and then dialing it down for this bird, We were going full on the whole way. The idea is to flavor the drippings with the celery, and then you baste the inside of the turkey with the hot liquid, cooking the dark meat from the inside. Well, maybe. But it sounded good, and it didn't involve brining, which we didn't have room for anyway. I ginned up a schedule for my responsibilities. Heating the oven, thawing the shrimp, taking the cheeses out of the fridge, putting the turkey in the oven, steaming and chilling the shrimp, assembling and baking the scalloped oysters, 
and basting the turkey every 45 minutes. Plus, you know, whatever else was needed. The 18-pound turkey should take three and a half to four hours at that temperature. The turkey was already browning at that first basting, which should have been a clue to what was going wrong. I basted and sniffed, and it all seemed good. The turkey didn't look weird compared to a standard freezer bird, except the breast wasn't freakishly large and rectangular. By the time I basted the second time, I could see things were going faster than expected. It was browning up quickly, and there was a lot of liquid. Well, whatever, back in the oven. I won't keep you in suspense. The next time I basted, a little more than two hours in, the turkey was smelling and looking done. I had to dig out the instant read thermometer and, you know, have some cheese and, and a beer, and by the time I got the turkey out to take the temperature, wow, it was done! The breast was at 172 degrees, the thigh was at 187. It was overdone, maybe, and I was worried. I got it out and tended it with foil, ASAP. What happened? Well, turns out the kids have a convection oven and the fan was on. No one knew. We were all standard oven users, except my daughter Nora, who had done all her cooking ahead of time, and we didn't notice. I've never cooked with a convection oven. I was clueless except for the theory. Well, press on. The turkey sat under the foil, and I didn't worry about that, having read that it can rest for as long as an hour with no problems. After an hour, I carved it and ran into an unexpected issue. The back end of both breasts were mottled with black patches. It looked like the meat had been dyed black. It went down into the flesh. I freaked and tried to hide it from the family. Then I got all brave and took a bite. Tasted all right. Chewed all right. Seemed fine, so I kept carving. Later, I would learn that it was essentially dyed black by the pigment in the heritage turkey's black feathers. Most domestic birds have white feathers. No worries at all. And how was my overdone bird? Well, not overdone. The white meat was still moist, and the thighs had an absolutely delicious browned exterior with a still juicy interior. We finally finished the last of it on Monday. Hats off to Mark and Amy at Willow Creek Family Farm. Tradition sustained. Hey, I do have one last thing I wanted to tell you about. I got invited to a gin tasting, uh, nope, sorry, a gin class at the Allen Street Grill in State College. How'd that happen? Well, one of the nice things I just discovered about my new home is that I've got a friend here, Chris Peters. He was the bar manager at a great place in the Philly suburbs, Teresa's Next Door. He cultivated a great whiskey collection there, and we did some tasting events together. And my wife and I went there for fun a lot of times. It was just a great place. Well, it turns out that Chris was hired as the beverage manager for the Hotel State College properties early in the pandemic. Smart move on their part. He not only seriously upgraded their beverage programs, he ramrodded major renovations during the slow times in 2020 and 21, and the seven properties are looking great. I was in town last month, and he showed me all of them, from Allen Street to Zeno's. Drinks may have been enjoyed. So, when the gin invite came, I knew I'd be in good hands. Sure enough, Chris presented an impressive array of very different gins, with his extremely informed and comfortable commentary. I learned a lot. Each guest had glasses of the gins and a plate of prosciutto, fruit, cheese, bread, and honey. There was an artisanal slow gin, a craft gin with an interestingly juniper-plus taste, and a Mahone gin, a uniquely made Spanish spirit. There was a Navy Strength gin at 57%, 
Plymouth and Old Tom gins, and a barrel-rested gin from Manitoni Spirit Works, another Philadelphia area friend. There was a surprise or two as well, but as they say, can you keep a secret? So can I. <laughs> I suspect there will be surprises at each of these tastings. They only did two classes since the beginning of the year, but they're going to a monthly schedule. December will have a celebratory wine tasting on the 14th. You can find out about these events at allenstreetgrill.com slash events. That's the show. Thanks to Erica Unruh and her boss, Charlie Schnabel, for taking time to do the interview. Thanks to Tim Bowser of Elk Creek Cafe for riding with me on the brewery run. And thanks to Mark Scherer for being a good sport and let me take his picture. You can find that picture and other story pictures on Instagram at Stag Podcast and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, where you'll find pictures and links and ways to contact me. I'm not sure how you heard about the show or where you listened to it, but Stag is now available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Please subscribe to get notice of new episodes. And if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Thanks. You can always message me directly on social media to let me know what you liked on an episode, what could be improved, and what central Pennsylvania drinks and food producers you'd like to hear from. You've already told me that you liked my wife on the first episode, so I promise she'll be back. I will be giving you a heads up on upcoming episodes when I have them figured out in time. And our next episode is a holiday episode. I remember the holidays just in time to pull together a supersized episode of fun stuff. We'll have a roundup of some of the special things Central PA provides for the holidays, a clutch of great holiday drinks and such that you'll still have time to seek out and enjoy. I'll have an after-action report from the Mifflinburg Christ Kindlemart with reactions from some friends and family who will be there for their first time. And I'll have a brewery backroom interview at Troves, featuring founder John Trogner, my good friends Bill Helslauer and Ed Garrett of the It's Friday Somewhere podcast, and plenty of that madcap mythical mouthful, the Mad Elf. Just in time for Christmas. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State.